Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen and joining me today are... Devendra Hardwar And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. You can find more episodes of the show at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Today, we're going to discuss some uh, some brief film news. Uh, we got some news out of CES, where Devendra just came from. I also just came back from Las Vegas randomly, although it was not at CES. We just had a family trip there. Uh, and then we are going to talk about what we've been watching before moving on into an in-depth review of Sam Mendes's Sam Mendes's Sam Mendes apostrophe. Sure, sure. I think it's Mendai. <laughs> it's Sam Mendes, <laughs> nineteen seventeen. So that is what please, he's on. Please top don't of. write in about that. We know that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> the plural uh, of men, Mendeses. It's not. It's Mendes- not plural, Jeff. It's not plural. Okay. It's a, it's it has uh, to be possessive. a U.S. It's possessive. Yeah. It's, uh, multiple Sam Mendeses made that movie. It's a, that's it's the only a, explanation for it, by the way, is okay. that there were multiple Sam Mendes I. Yeah. And. <laughs> Yeah, all the Sam Mendeses that didn't show up for Spectre made that movie. <laughs> Welcome, That's right. Welcome, That's right. new listeners. This is exactly how the show <laughs> usually goes. Uh, before we get to that, though, uh, an announcement I wanted to make, which is that I will be in Los Angeles next Monday, Martin Luther King Day, on uh, January 20th at around 4 p.m. I'll be facilitating a live filming of The Tobolowski Files, uh, basically, we're going to film a bunch of Stephen Tobolowsky stories, put them on the internet on YouTube, and in order to do that, we need a live audience. If you want to be part of that live audience for this show that will last between 90 and 120 minutes, all you got to do is go to filmingtobo.com. That's filmingtobo.com and register for one or two free tickets to this event. Again, that's filmingtobo.com. Uh, it's going to happen on January 20th at 4 p.m., uh, I'd love to meet some of you. I think we did this about a year ago, and a bunch of people came, and it was great, and everyone had a great time, and I think we're going to do the same thing again this week as well. Um, awesome, dude. Yeah. I would so, love to be there. Hey, you're gonna, And you are going to be oh, there Oh, Jeff, you're, you're, not, you're not invited, Jeff. I'm, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, um, it's right in my backyard. <laughs> but, There's just a uh, sign outside. No, no this is really for non-Jeff people, though. No, oh. seriously, though, Jeff, of course you, you're But invited. you're going to be there live facilitating? <laughs> No, there's not going to be. It's most well. I'll be facilitating, like you know, helping to to run the shoot along with uh, my producer Valentina. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what's going to happen. So it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. Um, but uh, yeah, Jeff will hopefully be there. So if if Jeff is there, then it'll be a twofer. You can meet me and Jeff and Stephen Tobolowsky. Getting real mixed messages about whether I should be there, Dave. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Jeff is welcome. A- everyone is welcome. My only request is. We are using the RSVP page to measure how many people can actually show up. Like we, you know, we don't want too many people to show up. We don't want too few people to show up. So please only RSVP if you think you can come. Um, don't RSVP if you don't think you can come, because otherwise it makes it difficult for us to uh, get an accurate read of how many people are going to be there. And it's uh, also what RSVPing is. Indeed. Yeah, be kind, be kind. That's... Jeff, you know if you do show up, you better be prepared to MC that whole event. So. <laughs> indeed, indeed. That's entirely correct. Um, <laughs> Devinger is referring to the fact that I asked Jeff to MC my wedding like about 30 minutes before my wedding. <laughs> so, uh, no, this time I'm a little bit more prepared. 
Um, <laughs> I've put a little more preparation into this than my wedding, Jeff. So Well, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, check it out again. It's filmingtobo.com, and uh, we'll be in town on January 20th. And we're going to be filming a bunch of videos that are going to go on YouTube. Um, just uh, finding another channel to get Tobo's stories out there. So, again, filmingtobo.com. Hope to see some of you there. All right. Uh, in addition, other announcement. I mean, this isn't really an announcement. This is just at the top of everyone's mind, which is Oscar nominations. This week, uh, the Oscar nominations were announced. And uh, there were some... And why even watch them anymore, right? <laughs> Indeed. I mean, well, there's no host. That's another thing. Well, Here's the thing I find fascinating is the Kevin Hart fiasco with the hosting and everything was... Such a stain on the whole Oscar process that apparently they are never doing hosts again. <laughs> I mean, they didn't do a host last year. They're not doing a host this year. I think they're just like, you know what? We're just going to go hostless forever. Yeah. It seems entirely possible. Yeah. Um, Broke but, hosting. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, let's talk about some of the people that got nominated. I, I think the runaway success story of this set of Oscars is Joker. Which, of course, the movie we all love. We all loved so much, proving that we have a future in the Academy. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just joking, of course. If you listen to our review, we actually didn't like it very much. But the film earned a total of 11 nominations, which is the most of any comic book-based movie ever. This included Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Joaquin Phoenix, Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, so that is the film with the most nominations, which... I have to say I'm stunned by. It. I mean, you know, when it won like the Golden Lion, it's kind of like this kind of this whole uh, drumbeat of things where you're like, okay, well, you know, that's pretty cool, I guess. But like, you know, let's see what the Oscars are. Let's see what what the real nominations are going to be. That like, you know, because it won the Golden Lion and it's won all these awards this past fall. It made over a billion dollars. And but then I'm thinking, you know, when the Oscar nominations come out, then like we'll really see where Joker falls. And apparently. This is the movie that is going to sweep this year. I mean, it's, I think it's entirely that, possible. <laughs> you know, you have this performance, this very impressive, uh, by anybody's measure, even all three of us who really dislike the movie, I think, pretty strongly, came away all very complimentary of Joaquin Phoenix's performance, and justifiably so. It is it, The movie is anchored by this really incredible transformative performance at its center. Right. I think that alone, like the sheer strength of that one piece is what elevated it to feel like an Oscar film. It is also, you know, it has great cinematography. It's a beautifully shot movie, but man, it is, I think, I mean, clearly we all thought it was pretty flimsy uh, as a film, but I can understand from one perspective how it managed this feat because you just begin and end with that performance and then that sort of creates momentum that brings the rest of the movie with it. Yeah, I, I think that's right, Jeff. You know, and we, we've seen other instances of like a strong performance driving a movie to Oscar gold in the past. Uh, Castaway being the example that comes to mind, right? Mm. Like that movie yeah. is okay, you know, pretty good. Um, but I felt that way about Gladiator. There you go. You know, so there's many movies where it's like, oh, one great performance uh, is enough to really uh, be, make for a compelling film overall. It is just completely fascinating to me, though, that, I mean, 
Joker got 11 nominations, and then the uh, uh, other ones uh, that got 10 apiece include The Irishman, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then uh, after those, Jojo Rabbit, Little Woman, Marriage Story, and Parasite, each earning six nominations. So uh, it's just fascinating to me that Joker, a movie that is, let's just say generously, like pays great homage to Martin Scorsese, right? Um, And not generously completely rips off Taxi Driver and the King of Comedy. Uh, got 11 nominations while Martin Scorsese himself, who is in the race with uh, <laughs> a, a film that I feel like thoughtfully is a response slash continuation slash rejoinder to uh, a part of his career in which he was making gangster films, The Irishman, only got 10 nominations. I, just I mean, but you could say it clearly rips off Batman. <laughs> Indeed, and also uh, apparently, you know, we'll, we'll get to uh, people who weren't nominated, but like Ro- uh, Robert De Niro was not nominated for Best Actor, which yeah, I, I thought think for me the whole story is the people that didn't get nominated. Yeah, this, it's mean... a tra- it's a Travis Sham mockery. You can't. <laughs> I'm going to tear this whole place down because there's no Willem Dafoe. I know How you is there were... no Willem Dafoe. I think when you watched the Lighthouse, you tweeted if Willem Dafoe does not win or is not win. nominated, does not <laughs> win, win for Best Supporting Actor. I thought nominated was a was a foregone conclusion. I, I, I was saying win. He better win. The, the fact that he didn't get a nomination is is gobsmacking to it, me. It, I cannot I agree. fathom I agree. it. I agree. I agree. That that certainly deserved to be, get a best actor and supporting role nomination. The people who did get a nomination were Brad Pitt uh, for Once Upon a Time, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci in The Irishman, Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes. That was who was actually. By the nominated. way. This may speak more to me than anything else, and I freely accept my shame should it be deserved. But this is literally the first moment reading these nominations was literally the first moment that I found out that The Two Popes was a movie and not a TV show. <laughs> nice. Nice. I thought it was a TV show. It was you're, on my you're Netflix. thinking of The New Pope. Oh. It's, it's another yeah, show. Yeah, The New Pope, which is a continuation of The Young Pope, the which young is on Pope. HBO. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the two posts was a was an episodic show. Nope, that <laughs> like, is oh, incorrect. Nominated for Oscars. Yeah, okay. and not only is it a movie, it's a movie from the director of City of God. That's a wow. pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah. I've heard it's Have good. I've heard it's good. It? Is it good? Yeah, I've heard it's good. I haven't seen it yet, but I've, I've, heard, it's, it I've yet. heard it's great. I'm planning no. to watch it. it. It got nominated for a bunch of Golden Globes and uh, an Academy Awards. So, uh, I also okay. think. I mean, we're going to talk about 1917 later, but the fact that there are no acting nominations for that movie is also I find very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think in particular, uh, the gentleman who plays, I think it's uh, Schofield, George McKay, puts in an amazing performance in 1917. It's one of those performances we'll talk a little bit more about later, but it's like, it's very understated. It's one of those performances that like, it doesn't feel like the person's acting. You know what I mean? It's it's very naturalistic. The technical requirements of that movie seem extreme and worthy of uh, nomination just on that alone. The, you know, I just, it, it, yeah. I mean, this year it just feels like all the nominations are, Hey, how famous are you? I don't know. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people pretty unhappy with, with this year. Let's, let's go over the good before we go over the bad. Okay. Yeah. So for best picture, you got Ford V Ferrari, uh, the Irishman, Jojo rabbit, Joker, Little Woman, Marriage Story, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 1917, and Parasite. I would say yeah. the overwhelmingly vast majority of those movies are very deserving of Best Picture, right? Sure. And Parasite is a yeah. surprise. Parasite, Parasite is, is, a surprise. Going to, is going to win. 
I hope or best foreign language. Listen. It'll yeah, it'll, it'll likely win for best international. It's not. It's no longer best foreign yeah. language. It's now international yeah. feature. Um, and yeah, it, it was. It is nominated in best international feature along with Les Misérables, uh, Pain and Glory, Honeyland, and Corpus Christi. I think um, this is the first time a South Korean film has been nominated for best picture. So that's great. And it's great that it got nominated for six Academy Awards. It's great that Bong Joon-ho was nominated three times as the director, uh, as the producer for Best Picture, and also um, Best... Screenwriter. Uh, and yeah, I think he's uh, nominated for Screenwriter as well, yeah? Um, yeah, for so, uh, cheap... Oh, no, sorry. Oh, there's production design. Uh, I think he's Screenwriter. I, I think it's just... Um, Let's see. Yeah, original screenplay. Yep. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So uh, that's that's awesome. Like that that should be celebrated, and it's historic. Uh, another uh, quasi historic nomination, I believe, is Sir Sir Ronan has now been nominated for four times four times for a best uh, acting role. So this this year she's nominated as best actress for her role in Little Women. Um, she is the second youngest person to be nominated four times, uh, and I think she's. Marvelous in that movie, and uh, it's it's well a, a very worthy nomination. So that's also great. Uh, you know, movie that we all love down here, Marriage Story has has been nominated multiple times. You know, so th- there's like a bunch of great uh, and and worthy nominations on on this list, right? So yeah, just wanna just wanna start by throwing that sure. out there. Uh, also, Honeyland, a movie that made my top ten films. Uh, of the year was nominated for best international feature and best documentary. Uh, so I'm very that, that's uh, I, I think it's the first time a North Macedonian movie has been nominated in either of those categories, if not mistaken. Uh, I may be wrong about that, but uh, I, I'm very excited about that movie doing well as, as well. And also uh, another movie from my top ten was um, the uh, I Lost My Body. Mm-hmm. Uh, that animated feature, yeah, yeah. made it uh, as an animated feature, um, along with How to Train Your Dragon: The Hidden World, Klaus, Missing Link, and Toy Story Four. No love for Frozen Two in that category, which is interesting. No. I uh, actually think Klaus has a has a real dark horse shot in that. I mean, I think Toy Story Four is the heavy favorite, but I think Klaus has a real shot there. Mm. And, and maybe I lost my body. I haven't seen that yet, and you keep yeah. raving about it. So perhaps you should check it out. You should check it out. Okay, okay. So those there's a lot of great, great movies here. Let's talk about the things we weren't a fan of. Uh, I mean, one of the big ones is no nominations for The Farewell, which I thought was very worthy. Yep. Um, I, I thought you could have had a, a best picture, best screenplay in there. Uh, that would have been great. Uh, Aquafina won best actor at the Golden Globes. That would have been also nice to see. Uh, what else, Devinger? You have some things you were you were sad not to see here, right? I mean, Uncut Gems is not here yeah. at completely, all. Completely, completely yeah. shut out. Shut out. Completely shut out. Yeah. Dolomite is my name, which I think was kind of a long shot in some respects. Uh, it deserves certain things. I, I think Eddie Murphy kind of deserved that. Um, I'm happy for for Parasite Co- costume design too. Like yeah. Dolomite is yeah. my name would have been a great uh, uh, nominee for costume design. Did not get any nominations in that category. So that's a shame. Um, yeah. I'm happy for Parasite. Uh, kind of disappointing that Song Kang-ho was not nominated, like just given the sheer weight of that performance. No, like I'm also looking at the slash film like snubs list right here, but Apollo 11, what yeah, the hell? Yeah. We talked so much about that movie and it was, it made like so many headlines last year. I feel like that should have at least been nominated for best documentary and also no Lupita Nyong'o and nothing for us, a movie that I loved. It was my number one last year. And I feel like 
you know, Us is a movie that hopefully, you know, will probably be seen better over time, too. Um, but I think that performance is astounding. I'm shocked that they chose Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, a movie that very few people actually liked. I haven't seen that movie, but, you know, responses were not great. So I don't know. There's a lot of stuff. And no Jennifer Lopez either. Like, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. The lack of Jennifer Lopez is a huge member. There's been a lot of dialogue about that. A lot of discourse online about Jennifer Lopez. And, and it kind of centers around like the kinds of stories that the Academy likes to reward. Right. Um, they don't like to reward movies like Hustlers. They do like to re- reward slave narratives. Uh, like Harriet, sure. which is well, they know. would they would reward a movie like Hustlers if it was you know directed by Scorsese and about dudes doing bad things. Like those <laughs> right. movies get nominated all the time. Yeah, I know it. So, and I, I totally think Hustlers <clears throat> deserve to be in. You know, it was my I think number three or number four film of the year. So, like, I totally think it deserves to get uh, nominated for Best Picture. Certainly above like Ford v Ferrari. Uh, I mean, and, I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't mean to diminish uh, Hustlers in any way, but. I, I, you could make the argument that it is sort of a, a hooker with a heart of gold story a little bit, which has traditionally very much been awarded by the Academy. I don't know. I mean, clearly she wasn't actually a hooker in the movie, but I'm saying it's very much in that archetype of, you know, th- there's plenty of examples of of that kind of role being rewarded, I think. Uh, okay. Like, what, is there any examples that come to mind? I'm just curious what you're thinking of. Oh, um, um, wasn't, um, leaving Las Vegas. Wasn't, um, Elizabeth Shue nominated for that. Um, and I feel like there's a couple of other that. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I, I mean, if we're talking about like rewarding originality, like why the hell is Joker everywhere? You know, like that's the, (laughs) oh, that's the thing. You're not going to get any argument from me about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like. That, that same logic will right, apply to a movie like Joker. It's like, oh, yeah, we've seen this before. This has been done sort of similarly done many times. I I don't know. I just feel like, um, you know, it is it was a tremendous role. There's a lot going on in Hustlers. And it feels like the Academy just did not see it. Yeah. I mean, I thought I, certainly I thought Jennifer Lopez deserted, uh, deserved an actress and supporting role, uh, given the people who they nominated. Right. So you got Laura Dern. In Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson and Jojo Rabbit. She, she receives actually two nominations this year: one for actor in Marriage Story. I'm sorry, um, uh, actress in Marriage Story, and one for supporting actress in Jojo Rabbit. Uh, Florence Pugh in Little Woman, Margot Robbie in Bombshell, and Kathy Bates in Richard Jewell. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like a lot of people looked at that list and felt like. JLo definitely deserved a shot at it. Um, but that there's something yeah. about that type of performance uh, that people were biased against. I think a lot of people have been interpreting it that way. I think that it's it's interesting, like, the, the narrative around snubs, right? Because uh, the, the term snub, I think, implies that everyone got together in a room and they're like, nope, we're going to snub x title we're going to snub y title that doesn't that's not how it works at all obviously a lot of the voting is anonymous um and people are uh wined and dined by a variety of people actually you know i'm just gonna i'm just gonna read uh this thing that uh drew mcweeney wrote today uh in his new newsletter formerly dangerous where he writes here 
that people write that, quote, it's not that you simply weren't nominated, you were snubbed. This implies that there's a meeting where the Academy works all this out as a group, and it's so far from the truth. Instead, you have human beings subject to whim who are wined and dined and courted for months with one precursor after another telling them how they should vote. They vote based on any number of things, and in the end, the Oscars are the story they want to tell about the industry where they work, end quote. Um, So I just think that's important to keep in mind as you're reading things about snubs, uh, and what that term might imply. I don't know that it's fully accurately uh, describing what exactly is going on there. So The story they want to tell about the industry in which they work is that uh, The Joker is the best uh, <laughs> movie that happened all yeah, year. Because yeah, it yeah. made a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's also interesting that we might be looking at a situation where two people in our lifetimes will win an acting Oscar for playing the character of The Joker. Uh, which like, I didn't tell, you know, tell that to 15 year old me, <laughs> you know, you'd have been so psyched, Jeff, but for some I reason, like, Jeff, you don't sound very psyched right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's pretty yeah. wild. That's a pretty wild thing. Anything else? I guess I just, I do want to say that I've seen this. Uh, oh, oh, also I thought it was pretty hilarious that, uh, neither Beyonce nor Taylor Swift were nominated for best original song. Which I felt like, it felt to me like the driving reason that those people were in those movies, specifically well, the and also, and Cats. Do you want to make your, your telecast <laughs> more watchable? Yes. I, I mean, it's just like, why would you throw away seats. your opportunity to have two of the biggest stars on the planet uh, as part of the telecast, but they're not going to yeah. do that, so... Uh, it's not that the it's not that the people they nominated are are bad. Oh, I I guess there is there is a, a song from the movie Breakthrough in here, which is kind of shocking. You know that Christian movie about the guy who, the kid who gets stuck in the water and everything. Anyway, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then uh, and the only other thing I'll say is I'm actually really happy that 1917 is getting recognized. Uh, I I you know we're going to talk a little bit more about this later uh, about like. Some people view 1917 as too video game-like to be worth taking seriously. And I don't agree with that assessment. And yeah. I'm glad the Academy doesn't agree with that assessment either. So uh, I'm glad that it got, I think, 10, no- uh, uh, 10 nominations. And uh, finally, it's just also important to remember as, as we move on from this conversation that movies that win Best Picture or that are nominated or that win... Uh, are rarely the movies that people think of as the best movies of that year or that that time period or are movies that kind of stay in the popular imagination. Um, right. You know, how many people are still talking about Green Book today? That's my question. How many Just think you. pieces Just. have you read about Green Book this year? Um, that it does are- <laughs> say something about the industry. I do feel like that is a statement that these winners tend to make is how, you know, what were they thinking in that year and what is going on in Hollywood at that point? I hope we do not get a complete Joker sweep. That's all I hope. Yeah. I mean, it'll be the second yeah. film in a row in which, in which the best picture is, you know, uh, a, a troubled white guy who uh, learns more about himself through the suffering of people of color. Um but yeah. let's let's hope that doesn't happen. Let's hope that doesn't happen. In any case, except this time he learned nothing about himself. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> all right, that's uh, our conversation about Oscar nominations. Just important to keep all that. You know, like it's fun to talk about, but also just uh, have some I, perspective about it as well. So 
Uh, I'm going to say something that's going to be a little spoiler for a couple of movies. So if you haven't seen the movies on the Oscar list, literally every movie, literally every movie, literally every movie. Okay. Because I'm going to, I want to do a bomb because of dynamite that I'm hoping will happen on Oscar night. Do it. When, oh boy. I'll, be, do when it. I'll be like, when I'll say, um, I was shocked that the movie where Robert De Niro is shot shockingly, uh, when you, you know, when, when he thought he was just doing something that everybody wanted him to do. Uh, won the Academy Award. Uh, no, I'm not. Ta- yeah, I, you know. I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I've failed good. everybody. That's I pretty failed. good. I failed. It's all right. Wait, I, I literally don't understand what the other movie because it happens in both Irishman and Joker. Oh, literally the only two movies with Robert De Niro, Dave. Come on. Yeah. I, I for some reason I had forgotten that he was in Joker. I'm sorry. I know he's like yeah. a major. Ca- he's. I know he he's a major character in that movie. I, yeah. That's my bad. That's my bad. You're not the only one. Yeah. All right. You know, talk about uh, talk about a tale of two De Niro's this year. Because I watched Joker and I was like, oh, Robert De Niro. I used to know when you were. It used to be one of my favorite actors. Like, oh yeah, you felt like you, you felt doing? like he was horribly miscast. Horribly movie. miscast. I thought yeah. he was terrible. I thought it was kind of embarrassing to watch him attempt to do that. And then here comes Irishman. I'm like, oh, Robert De Niro, you still got it. You still got it, buddy. Amazing. You can actually still be the amazing Robert De Niro that I thought was one of my favorite actors. And you know, both in the same calendar year. That's pretty he wild. He's so good in Irishman. I have to say, he's yes. like he's and as so good bad in, in Joker. <laughs> he's as good in Irishman as Joaquin Phoenix is in Joker, at least in my opinion. Um, I think he's 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 as good in Irishman as he is bad in Joker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's talk about. Uh, well, you, you know, we we've been talking about Oscars. We've been talking about what movies stay culturally relevant long after. The uh, the Oscars have closed, and we know what the winners are. But uh, on this podcast, the slash filmcast, we've also debated for many, many—I want to say years at this point—the cultural relevance of the second highest-grossing film of all time, namely James Cameron's Avatar. Yeah, baby. And you know, you you got Jeff Kanata on one side saying this is one of the greatest movies ever, and you got me and Devendra on the other side saying, Jeff, you're wrong. No one cares about. Avatar anymore. And we have used many things to defend the fact that we think Avatar has no cultural relevance in our society. But we were proven wrong decisively at mm-hmm. this year's CES, Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. How many movies get a car? Indeed. Indeed. This How year, many? How many movies? every single James Bond movie. But, you know. <laughs> so, you know, several movies, but not that many movies. This year, uh, Mercedes Benz debuted the Avatar concept car. Uh, an, an, an Avatar-inspired concept car was un- unveiled just about a I week ago. They, isn't it supposed to be called the Avid car? Uh, just call it Avatar. I don't it think that's the official Avatar. name, but yes, we will refer to it as Avatar from this point forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I mean, very few movies get a car based off of them. This, this felt like a pretty <laughs> random... Fewer movies get a car based off of them ten years after they came out. <laughs> I think they're really like, oh man, they're really it's tapping like Mercedes into. Mercedes did a uh, did a Homer. They they pulled a yeah. here's everything you want in an electric car. Look at this monstrosity, the Avatar. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, nobody's making nobody's making the uh, the car based on Green Book. <laughs> 
That's true. That's true, Jeff. I mean, there already was a car in Green Book, to be fair. I mean, it's pretty, yeah. it car pretty heavily features a car. It pretty heavily features a car that exists already. <laughs> so I don't know that a concept car is necessary. Yeah. Whereas yeah, the, uh, the, you know, there was no cars in av- Avatar as far as I can re- remember. Maybe there were, and I just forget. Yeah. What, um, what I love about the Avatar, though, is just how uh, meaningless it is. <laughs> so I feel like it perfectly symbolizes everything we're talking about, right? Because this is a concept car. Uh, some some people I work with have talked to Mercedes about this, and they're like, "So, what? Why? Who?" And Mercedes is all like, "Well, this represents our commitment to sustainable manufacturing and things like that. It's not, it's not anything that will actually be in cars. It's more like they release these concepts to like show, like, hey, we made this crazy looking thing. It's tied to Avatar. You'll pay attention and give me some news stories about it. It doesn't mean anything." There's no relevance moving forward to Mercedes-Benz's line, so it's actually perfect to be an Avatar. Well, you got to so, hand, so, hand it to Devendra Hardwar. He can make even this be an example of the what is the, irrelevance. What is this? What is this, Jeff? <laughs> so what is the relevance? let's just be question. clear. Let's just be clear. The reason it represents sustainability is because Avatar, the movie, theoretically had a like an environmental friendly message, right? Like we must be kind to the Earth because the Earth gives back to us. Blah, blah, blah. I know a lot of people remember the extremely memorable themes of Avatar. And so they made this car. Uh, be, like, is, is the car itself, like, carbon it's, neutral in some way? It's like, electric, and I believe the manufacturing process is like, so electric cars in general, you know, don't burn fossil fuels. So that's good. Uh, I think every time you sit in size, it says, I see you, and stares deeply into your eyes. So that's uh, <laughs> you have that's to, something to do. The only way to turn it on is to attach your braid to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, the more you think about the braid thing, right, the more upsetting it is, right? That, like, the same – well, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, – it, that's how they, like, interface with and subjugate animals in their world. Mm. Um, it's also how it, they have sex. Yeah, it's also how they have it's sex. And it's the, the same multifunctioning braid organ, Like, yeah, you think It's great. Yeah, it's, it's, but okay. tell me that the car doesn't look badass. It's okay, a so, really so we're, cool we're looking at – let's look at the photos right now. We can't – obviously can't show you the photos because uh, this is a podcast. But, like, we can describe the photos, right? Yeah. So it, everything you is see it in motion too. It moves. <laughs> it's got it's got pulsating lights on the wheels. Yeah, like yeah. The, the, the side... lights look like the the wheels look enormous, and they, they look like they're covered with like the uh, the kind of little like jellyfish type plants that were on Pandora and in, in Avatar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. The back it... of the car has scales that come uh-huh. out of the car, which I didn't even know that Navi had scales. Like uh, honestly, I've seen that movie I think a couple it didn't times. Didn't they like flying the dragon thingies? Yeah, I guess. I think it's like Th- yeah. this is the first concept car that's actually taught me more about the world of the movie. Uh, <laughs> is that like I didn't know that this, scales were yeah. a thing in, in more Avatar. than you can remember from the movie. So it is the serving side is like yeah. completely open and clear and translucent. It's no, a cool a, looking car. If there's a if door, you guys there. weren't there's trying to slag on the movie, yeah. you would think it's it was cool looking car, right? If this was like the new Batmobile, you'd be like, "Whoa, that looks kind of rad." I. I guess it's more like I'm sitting there trying to like fashion. So my job at CES is just to like filter out the bullshit from like, you know, (laughs) the real meaningful stuff. And I look at this and I'm like, huh, okay, Avatar. All right. And I get back to like actual news and things that will actually be out and matter to people's lives. Because here's the thing about these concept cars. Like they're, they're cool looking and they get headlines, but they don't, they don't matter a lick of anything. Like it doesn't lead to anything. It will not Um, impact people's lives. At all, other other than other than those people whose lives will be inspired by seeing an avatar 
inspired concept car and will thus be more motivated to visit Pandora Land or watch Avatar 2. You'll see it on the stage and that's it. That's basically all this car will accomplish. So, hey, great. No, he puts his hand on the center console and it, like there's a whole there's a yeah. whole inside uh, screen that's like the entire <laughs> it's cool, dude. And they don't do this <laughs> for a movie that has no cultural relevance. They don't It's true. Do there's no Hurt Locker concept car, okay? Right? That Hurt Locker drone did not go so well. So the movie, the movie that beat uh, Avatar at Best Picture, for those who don't remember. Um, yeah. But listen, yeah. Jeff, I don't know if I can take your your support seriously. You just changed your middle name to Cybertruck, so <laughs> I don't know. I am Jeff Cybertruck Kanata now, mm. but I don't regret any of that. It's just fascinating that like th- this car looks like. Hundreds of person hours were expended on it, right? Like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. At the, at to minimum. design, manufacture, and uh, I just find that to be pretty, pretty amazing. That Mercedes is like, hey, the the 1999 film Avatar, the second highest grossing movie of, of all time. Let's spend mi- millions of dollars worth of person hours, sure, to to make this Avatar. Yeah, um, the event where they unveiled it probably cost millions of dollars. You know, so yeah, who, who no knows kidding. what the total cost of this thing is? <laughs> Tens is of no millions joke. of dollars on the Avatar. Yeah. But uh, that said, I do think this settles the notion of uh, what is more cult- of whether Avatar is culturally relevant. I mean, if it can inspire an Avatar, it ha- it has to have at least some minimum of cultural relevance. I, I do. I feel like, by the way, we should say like the, the only reason this exists is because Avatar Two is coming. Maybe who knows? No, no. Uh, c- come on, yeah. I think we can say confidently that even if there was no Avatar Two, the people at Mercedes Benz would have still made this entire thing, right? We all <laughs> yeah, agree with years, that, right? Ten years after Avatar. It, ten years this, after Avatar, yes. they would have devoted time to making something for a dead franchise. I think. No, I, what Somebody... I like is what I like is Mercedes like meetings. Uh, planning <laughs> stages, years of development, all to coincide with the release date of Avatar 2. And then yeah. they get a press release. Uh, Avatar 2 is delayed again, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we have this perfectly good Avatar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's just bring yeah. it to CES anyway. Listen, who fun. knows? They could have started working on this 10 years ago. This could be the culmination of 10 years of conceptual work. So. I have no doubt that it was multiple <laughs> years of work. And I have no doubt yeah. that it was designed and and planned a production schedule was put into place to coincide with the release of Avatar 2 which was supposed to be this year and well i mean that's that's a little generous jeff i mean avatar 2 is supposed to come out i think about 9 years ago right <laughs> uh, no. and then it has continued to be delayed and so at some point someone there was just like we got to pull the ripcord on this one <laughs> we can keep waiting but at some point we got to pull the ripcord and they de- decided this year as an I FYI I continue to be very excited about the day when Avatar 2 comes out and it's amazing and you two eat your words hey my words Avatar 2 says nothing about the quality of the first movie first of all so yeah <laughs> I'm I'm perfectly willing and hopeful that Avatar 2 actually is good uh, as an FYI the current release date of Avatar 2 it seems like it's December 17th of 2021 so mm-hmm um yeah i'm there yeah i mean first in line baby <laughs> get those tickets Devinder hardware you were at ces uh did you see anything that might be relevant to people who are listening to this podcast oh man um well speaking of concept cars i did sit inside of sony's concept car sony made a car yeah and that is that is kind of fascinating what's interesting is that uh it's actually 
I think relevant to Sony's business and could like it is an example of like what Sony's doing. Like they're trying to get more into car tech, so like car sensors, in car entertainment. Uh, it felt like a cool electric car. I couldn't, it didn't actually drive. I just sat in it. Uh, but there's like you know screens all along the dashboard. There are two screens on the on the back seats. Uh, it's surrounded by a ton of speakers. So it supports Sony's like 360 reality audio garbage. Um, you know, it's it's Sony selling what it does in entertainment, like in a car platform. So it, I could I could buy that. Like I see the whole point of it. And car tech needs some serious upgrading. So I'm hoping they kind of make their way. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping like they kind of succeed with that. So that was cool. Is it uh, based yeah. on any 10 year old movies or anything or I just mean, a regular just a car? Just a boring it's, old uh, car, not based on anything that I know yeah, from 10 years ago. It, it is kind of just a car because it's like applicable to real world things. So I didn't think they thought of movies. They mm. thought of like actual people in their lives. and how, Boring. How I know it's it's rough. I saw a lot of 8K TVs, by the way. There are so many 8K TVs and they were all running the exact same YouTube demo reels for 8K footage. And when I ask the people like, what, so why would I spend $10,000 on this uh, 8K TV when there's no content or anything? They're like, well, it upscales. It sure <laughs> does upscale that, that HD footage and that 4K footage. And I'm like, okay, that, uh, that makes absolutely no sense. So we are in a weird void right now where these companies are really trying to push out 8K TVs for the love of God. People do not buy an 8K TV. Like there is seriously no reason for it. Um, think back to when the first 4K TVs came out and they didn't have HDR. They didn't have like all the fun stuff that we have now. Uh, Jeff, I'm very sorry for your very large TV. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's things like that. You will regret buying an, a set so early. So what is good this year is like 4K sets are getting cheaper. OLED is getting better. LG's OLEDs are getting like NVIDIA G-Sync and FreeSync and all the cool like gaming tech. So like these OLED TVs are going to become like among the best gaming monitors out there. So that sort of tech, I think, is really cool. So I'm looking forward to that. I kind of want to upgrade my TV eventually. So, that, yeah, 8K, nay, 4K, yay, yes. I yeah. do think. I, I do think like when OLED becomes uh, with like accessible from a pricing perspective, it's it is going to be mm -hmm. a game changer. Like Vizio it, did announce that Vizio is yeah. doing doing an OLED, and that is kind of astounding to me because Vizio makes like nice affordable sets. Like for the longest time, they were making LCD TVs that looked better than anything Samsung was producing because they had like full array backlighting and all that fun stuff. So Vizio's OLEDs, yeah, that could be a game changer. Yeah. yeah. It's going, it's going to expose OLED technology to so many more people and they're going to realize, wow, like yeah. a lot of the stuff I've been watching has looked like garbage compared to this uh, as I did, which uh, I'm really happy with my, my LG OLED TVs. So. Uh, so yeah, don't buy an AK TV. Check out the evolving uh, OLED uh, technology and the pricing of OLED is going to continue to drop. All very exciting stuff. Uh, Devendra, what else have you been watching this week other than being at CES? Oh man, so much. There's. By the way, I just want to throw a shout out to CES in general. Like uh, for the Engadget podcast, I did a whole bunch of coverage there. I talked to the folks behind Quibi. Quibi is relevant to our audience. That is the <laughs> mobile video streaming startup. It is mobile only, but I, I sat down and I talked to Jeffrey Katzenberg and I talked to Meg Whitman about this thing. This is uh, the thing where you uh, it's shot in two different aspect ratios and you can yeah. switch back and forth on the fly and it looks like why? It's like why. Uh, that is like the cool feature because I feel like for the past 18 months or so, we've heard about Quibi. Uh, Quibi has raised a billion dollars, billion with a B, for this mobile video thing that nobody has seen and they've got a ton of talent behind it. Like Spielberg is making something. Guillermo del Toro is doing something. They have a lot of actors involved. 
but it's, yeah, it's all mobile. You can only view it on a phone. You can only view it in apps. The really killer feature is that, yeah, you can watch it either in portrait mode or landscape mode. That tech is really interesting. The idea that I can switch between those modes, you know, uh, willy nilly, uh, where I'm not just fighting the, you know, format constraints of uh, the media I'm watching. That is kind of interesting for mobile video. I saw one, it's kind of interactive too. So I saw one clip uh, from something Doug Lyman directed, I believe, where a character was um, talking on his phone in landscape mode. So I was watching the scene as normal. And when I flipped over to portrait mode, it just went straight to the view of his phone. So it was like a completely different angle. It was kind of wild, to be honest. And kind so of you freaky. can live edit basically what you want to see. I mean, it's going to be great yeah. for porn, but I don't understand. I mean, it seems like a whole bunch of old people trying to court. Yep. Millennials who listen, only look listen, at stuff Jeff, in landscape. The millennials. I mean, and, uh, portrait. Yeah. The millennials, they love short content. We got to make that short content with celebrities. Just give me, give me your money. Give me your money. I'm going to, I'm going to make you some nice short content. Okay. Dude, uh, I that's lived basically through that entire... once already. I lived through the only, they only want short content thing yeah. in the early two thousands. And we all went, Oh no, people yeah. will watch long content. The, 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 the only, the, they will only watch it in portrait mode thing is baffling to me too. And I don't understand. I mean, yeah, it, it there's a like lot such we a don't weird, understand. Yeah. It's just like bending over backwards in such a weird way to make things that will work in that aspect ratio. But yeah. even then it's like, well, you're, it doesn't always work in that aspect ratio because it looks like poop and you're missing half the thing. Well, well also, also, so you, you need to, it. Yeah, yeah. You, you need to download both versions of it. Right. Apparently no, it's like, but it's like, they have this like streaming both. You're not like downloading. Both yeah. You're, you're streaming both. So you're like yeah. murdering your data plan. Apparently they have this compression technology that makes yeah. it so that they're, they're streaming like a low res version of the other one that you're not doing. Yeah. And then when you switch, it will like auto switch over to the low res version really quickly and then eventually become high res. So it's probably going to be a crappy experience when you switch from portrait to landscape. So therefore no one will do it. So therefore the entire thing will be pointless. But who knows? I just we don't know who's going to subscribe to like a premium mobile only video short form service. Like it is, it is just completely baffling to me. Like I asked them that, that question straight up. Like, isn't there just too much to watch? And they're like, we're not completing with Netflix. We're not completing, you know, with all this other stuff. They feel like they're carving out a new form of, uh, of entertainment that people will pay for. I'm like, uh, all right. We'll see. Go listen to my interview. You know, judge for yourself. Uh, I think it's launching in April, so we can see how bad or good it actually is. It doesn't make any sense to me that I want to watch a scene and I can go and look at the dude's cell phone if I want to. Am I supposed to? Listen, Does, listen, did the director Jeff, hope that Jeff, I would? <laughs> they have a billion dollars. They have a billion yeah. dollars. They're hiring like crazy. Just, uh, just, just you know, get get yourself yeah. in a Quibi show. You'll be you good. How much? Yeah. I wish. I wish. There you Not, go. Then I would there change my tune. I'd be like, guys, you got you don't understand. You can. But uh, you know how much good a billion dollars could do in the world? A lot. Just saying, just saying. It, it, it could do quite a lot. Um, also, briefly, I talked about on the Engadget show, uh, I did this crazy dinner activation for Westworld. So I guess maybe season three of Westworld will have like a Vegas world or something because they kind of went all out in this Vegas restaurant where the moment I got online to attend, somebody uh, came up to me said my name, like I recounted like bits of my personal life, like my daughter's name, <laughs> like little things that they just like, they're like, oh, so how's your daughter Sophia doing? Like, and yada, yada, yada. I hear she likes to review gadgets. I'm, and I'm just like, I've never seen you before in my life. Who are you? And uh, they introduce themselves as somebody working for Insight, which is a company that will be in Westworld in season three. And the whole goal of Insight is to just like collect all the world's data and just to like 
know the most about you. And that that is their pitch. And it was just it was wild to be in like a fancy dinner setting where we were um I believe the insight people all received a script for like every single person attending the dinner. So it was like 600, 700 words. And they just, they kind of knew us on a script level, data mine from our social feeds. And they put us in tables, like together with people we could get along with. It was like the world, it was sort of like, I, I can imagine a future service for very socially awkward people to like go to parties where somebody will introduce you to other people who you could be interested in. And they just kind of do all that legwork for you. So there's like no awkward time. I can imagine this future existing. It was just uh, wild to see it, you know, happen in this sort of like play marketing activation forum for Westworld. Yeah. All right. Wow. Well, that sounds like a scary. great way to both learn more about Westworld season three and get your privacy invaded. Um, it was scary, guys. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, uh, thanks for reporting from CES. Of course, you can check out more Devinger's content from CES over at Engadget.com. We got to thank our first sponsor, HelloFresh. Jeff, you want to tell us about HelloFresh? Oh, boy, do I. I love HelloFresh. I really, really do. I love being the one in my house who gets to provide dinner for the family. <clears throat> I get to make it. I get to cook it. I would never cook dinner if it wasn't for HelloFresh. I just hate <laughs> I, I honestly I wouldn't. I hate the the deciding of what to make. I hate the going to the grocery store to buy the, the materials. I hate the leftover materials of after I've cooked a meal. There's all kinds of extra that I didn't that's just gonna go bad in the fridge. I didn't well, use well, it. Slow down, Jeff. What is HelloFresh even? Well, HelloFresh <laughs> is a delivery service for meals that are recipes, pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. It's America's number one meal kit. It makes cooking at home fun, easy, and affordable, which is exactly what I was describing because A, it is super easy because I don't have to worry about those things. I get those recipes delivered to me. I get all the ingredients pre-measured, which means I'm not going to have extra bits. I'm not going to have waste that I feel guilty about uh, going bad in my fridge. I don't know what to do with because there's a bunch of stuff. It's pre-measured. They come in really cool individual bags. All I do is open the box, take it out, stick it in my fridge until I'm ready to cook it. And then uh, I can make this delicious meals. They're really, really good. You, it, I, I'm less stressed out. I don't have to worry. I, meal planning is taken care of for me. Plus it's quick. The meals uh, usually take about 30 minutes or even as little as 20 minutes with their quick recipe options. And you eat more sustainably because HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients mean there's less prep time for you and less food waste. The packaging that they use actually is entirely made up from recyclable or already recycled content. It's great. Fits my lifestyle. I can decide on which food I want in advance. I can change my delivery days or food preferences or skip a week if I'm going out of town or don't have the time that week to do it. It's Awesome. I genuinely love it. I've cooked uh, two meals this week. In fact, my wife is out of town and my mom is here. How amazing was it? I got to cook a meal for my mom. I made uh, pork burgers. They were so good. My mom was like, these are amazing. Pork burgers uh, with fries. I mean, it was, it was awesome. They were so delicious and they were actually better for me than like getting burgers at a burger joint because I made them. I know what went into them. We want to help you get involved. If you go to HelloFresh.com slash slash film 10, so that's the symbol slash and then the word slash film 10, and use the code slash film 10 during HelloFresh's New Year's sale, 
you get 10 free meals, including free shipping. So that's HelloFresh, H-E-L-L-O-F-R-E-S-H dot com, then a slash, and then the word S-L-A-S-H-F-I-L-M-1-0 for Slash Film 10. And then use the code Slash Film 10 during checkout. You'll get 10 free meals, including free shipping. That's insane. No risk. Get there. Go check it out. That is a great deal. I've been using HelloFresh quite a bit, and uh, it really does make you the household hero. It really does make you uh, seem like you have all your shit together, uh, and really, it's just HelloFresh doing all the uh, the heavy lifting. So it's great. It's made me love cooking. I've Indeed. fallen in love with cooking. Check it out. Um, all right. Let's move on. Let's talk about what we've been watching this week. Uh, I want to talk about a movie called Underwater. Have you guys heard of this movie? Oh, yeah. This yeah, is looks the, fun. The new uh, K. Stu movie, uh, Kristen Stewart. She's in this movie directed by William Eubank. I'll read the plot summary. Disaster strikes more than six miles below the ocean surface when water crashes through the walls of a drilling station. Led by their captain, the survivors realize their only hope is to walk across the seafloor to reach the main part of the facility. Uh, Don't you hate it when that happens? It's such it's just, a it's so freaking man. annoying when that specific thing happens. Yeah, um, and I have to say, I you know this movie has like a fifty percent Rotten Tomatoes or something along those lines. I really enjoyed it. I was I was looking for hey give me some give me some great looking uh, underwater action set pieces that's all I'm looking for give me well, some case stew yeah give me some case stew he's awesome in this William Eubank is the director he directed a movie called The Signal if you guys have heard of that movie which premiered at the 2014 Sundance Film Festival oh, yeah. I was I was not a fan of that movie uh, it had some great visuals um, but I really didn't like the ending of that film. And uh, so I was kind of like, hmm, I wonder what uh, he's going to do with like a little bit of a bigger budget, uh, with arguably a bigger star. Although, of course, the signal did have Lawrence Fishburne in it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I thought this movie was a lot of fun. So I would recommend it if you are looking for a rip roaring good horror film that takes place underwater. It's just literally, it's like endless set pieces. It's like set piece after set piece. You, you think, oh man, I, I'm so glad they got out of that one. And then. Something else terrible happens to them. That for about ninety minutes is is what underwater is, and uh, all the set pieces are like pretty different. You know, they they're visually different. They're interesting, uh, and you know, they they start out with like X number of characters. Along the way, some of them will die, and you're kind of like guessing like who's going to survive. You know, it's kind of just like a, a, like a classic horror movie, but it takes place at the at the bottom of the ocean. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed it. I think if I could say the movie has a weakness, it's just that like I thought the you know there's like uh, a creature slash creatures, and I I thought that like the design of the creature was like kind of weak. Like you're looking for something that when you look at it, it's gonna scare the hell out of you, and that didn't it wasn't really the case for me. But other than well, that. Yeah, go ahead. I think it's probably because you also saw cats this week, and indeed, so you had a high indeed. bar for being having creatures scare the crap out of you. I did also see cats, and I uh, did an in-depth review of that with my wife on my YouTube channel. Just search for my YouTube channel, David Chen YouTube, if you want to find that. But basically, uh, I I had this morbid fascination with seeing cats. You know, I wanted to go see cats because I heard so much about it. I heard it was a transcendental experience. I've heard it's a phantasmagoria. The likes of which we've never seen. <laughs> my and friend, so, uh, my friend Anthony Carboni has now seen it four times. I think. Wow. At least. 
Under what circumstances did he have to watch Cats that many he, times? He tells me he unironically loves it, but I don't know if that statement in itself is ironic. I go yeah. into this a little bit in my in my video review, but basically the problem with Cats, in my opinion, is this uncanny valley of uh, the Cats being in this weird zone between man and cat. You know what I mean? Like when you mm. go see Cats the musical, it's humans dressed as cats, right? Like that's what you're looking at. But they use – Tom Hooper, the director of Cats, used CG – to uh, make them like more cat-like, uh, and but not completely cat-like. And then some of them, correct. The proportions are also really off. Like sometimes the cats look like regular cat size, and sometimes <laughs> they look like tiny uh, compared to the things around them. And some of the characters move like they're cats, you know, like they because many of them are like ballet dancers. But then some of them don't do that, and and, and so it's just. It's just all very bizarre and disorienting. You know um, how cats are in real life, unpredictable. Indeed, indeed. The movie's also like kind of sexual, I have to say, like in in a in a disturbing way. Um like you you just really get a sense that these cats are about to go at it at any time and that that is kind of <laughs> Listen, upsetting as well. Dave, your feelings are natural. It is yeah. it's okay. <laughs> you you don't them. have to you don't have to be, yeah, self-conscious about it. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, I, Love I will, those cats. Love those cats. We had had a long week, my wife and I, uh, entertaining people for Christmas. And so I was like, I want to go see cats. And she's like, you know what? I, she, my wife has this thing where she likes having food brought to her at the theater, right? Like she likes going to a movie. Like we have no Alamo Draft House here. So there's only like three theaters in the area where you can have like decent food brought to you. So we decided to go to the IPIC theater. And, uh, the tickets for the IPIC cost $28 each. That's before food. So we spent $56 yeah. on watching cats, which... They're, that's because IPIC has like those giant like couch seats, right? Yes, they have giant like couch seats. straight up a couch, yeah. Uh, and, and so I, that's the most money I think anyone in America has ever spent on cats. Not to mention we ordered food as well. I'm not even going to say Congrats. how much that cost. Um, but uh, what is great is that there were there's no one else in the theater. So... It was like we got a private screening of cats. So suddenly, the $56 for the tickets went from a huge imposition to, wow, this is a really good value. You know, we have a private screening room of cats. So I'd recommend it. You know, if you can get a, like, not that you can ever predict that, but uh, $56 for a private screening of cats where we could sing along and make fun of the movie. Uh, that's great. Did you so, Did you sing along? No, because I had never seen the musical before. But my uh, wife uh. did. And she had a great time. So, <laughs> in any case, Cats, it is deeply upsetting and confusing. It's a and, thing, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but I, I can say there's nothing else like it this year. And uh, Or any year. Or any year, yeah. And I'll just give a quick shout out to two other movies I had a chance to see. So, I... I uh, <laughs> I got violently ill for a, a few days. Um and after so I cats? Just, after cats. And so I just spent like the, that time like sitting on my couch playing Tetris and watching a bunch of movies. Uh, had a chance to see Atlantics on Netflix, which I think is a great uh, movie. And so I recommend yeah. it. Um, it's like, a, I'll just say it's a romance story and say nothing else about it, but say 
I, I haven't seen any other films like it in recent memory, and it's unique, and I think it's worth checking out. It's a beautiful film. It's beautiful. See it at night. It is, uh, it, it's like a great noir thriller, I yeah. feel like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, I had a chance to check out Ingrid Goes West. Have you guys heard of this movie, Ingrid Goes West? Yes, it's, it's way a, back in the day. 2017 yeah. drama directed by Matt Spicer. And uh, it's about a woman who, named Ingrid Thorburn, played by Aubrey Plaza, who uh, moves out west to L.A. to befriend a woman she's obsessed with on Instagram, like an Instagram influencer. And I thought this movie was really good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think it has some smart things to say about what uh, the life of an influencer is like and what like online life is like today. And um, I will also say that like there's a very brief sequence in this movie that depicts uh, a person's Instagram page. Like mm -hmm. y y yeah. you know, it's hard to it's if I said to you, "Hey, uh, show someone's Instagram page," right? Like I I don't know how you would do it. But it's that's hard to do. Like, what are you going to do? Show someone like scrolling through it? it you know, whatever you're going to do. This movie has a section. It's like a minute long, where a person's Instagram feed is depicted, and I thought this is the best depiction of an Instagram feed I've ever seen. Like, it's <laughs> it, it 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 it's so beautifully captures what is intoxicating about Instagram, and which is that the measuring stick by which all films will be judged in a mere. Five years. Uh -huh. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. Uh, and I just thought, like, that just for that section alone, it was, like, magical. But then uh, Aubrey Plaza does a great job playing Ingrid, and this kind of drama between her and this influencer kind of escalate. I, I, I really enjoyed the movie. This flew under my radar uh, when it first came out in 2017, but I wanted to rectify that. I just heard the premise, and I'm like, that's, that's really interesting. Um, especially because... We have a, you know, on this podcast, we have a very much, much smaller version of what that is. We are, I would say, uh, I, I, I don't know about Jeff, but maybe for me and Devendra, I would say we're like micro-influencers, right? So, like, it's just fascinating to see something like that depicted on on screen. Like, what, what, what a movie take on, like, an influencer drama is. Um, so, Ingrid Goes West of the film. I enjoyed it. Uh, Jeff Kanata, you've been watching a few things. I have. Um, I got a chance to watch the new Mike Birbiglia stand-up special, the new one, on Netflix. Uh, what's David, it, what's it called, Jeff? What's it called? It's the new one. No, but what is it called? It's Mike Birbiglia's The New One. Okay, but what is the name of the special? Okay, uh, I'm sorry. This is this is a lot more funny in my head when I uh, thought of it. But anyway, no, it was, uh, I was trying to play into it, and yeah. it really, we had, we only went to one place, and that's yeah. all we could do. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, yeah, have you seen it? Has any either I, of you seen it? I haven't seen it. I saw Sleepwalk with Not Me. Yet. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I'm a fan it. of Burbiglia. Yeah. I, I love his style of stand-up comedy, which is basically storytelling. And and I know it's not. Uh, appropriate to say it out loud anymore, but my favorite stand-up comedian of all time is Bill Cosby. And um, I was raised on his his stand-up, his real stand-up. I mean, people go, oh yeah, I love his stand-up too. Bill Cosby himself is great. Yeah, yeah. I also loved Bill Cosby himself, but his original stuff in like the 60s on vinyl, my dad gave me all these vinyl albums and they're they're all it's all storytelling and, and himself is as well. Uh, so I, I've, I've always been enamored with that style where it's not set a punchline, 
It's not observational. It's it's telling a very personal story and making each beat along the tail of t- that that story uh, funny and 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 you're laughing along, but you're also relating to it. And Berbiglia does it as well as anybody. Um, this special, uh, Devendra, I think you should make time to watch with your wife mm-hmm. if you have a chance. It is about having a child for the first time, and it is unbelievably good. It's it's one of my favorite hour-long stand-up specials ever. Uh, it is uh, incredibly honest and insightful and funny, 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 funny. Oh my gosh. I was laughing throughout from start to finish, uh, laughing, guffawing, uh, but also he says things that I'm like, oh, you're not supposed to say that out loud. <laughs> uh, it is um, extraordinary. And it, it, it is beautifully, I mean, it's more, his stuff is more like a one-man show than it is like a stand-up special. It is more the classic theater piece of a one-man show, which is, you know, I feel um, it, it is choreographed very precisely. Uh, he moves around the stage in very specific ways that accentuate things and that are very much unlike a stand-up comedian um, where you see, you know, you see Chris Rock and others pacing back and forth doing stand-up. That's not what he's doing. He's he's performing blocking on stage like a like a an actor in a play would, um, and it's an extraordinary thing. It's very very funny, very insightful. It is I recommend it to everybody, but particularly people who have kids, because uh, and particularly fathers who have kids because it is very much from his own perspective, um, and it is uh, about how harrowing that experience is and how. Uh, difficult and and the things that it does to you, it is very funny and very true, and I loved it. All right, that's Mike Birbiglia's the new one. It's on Netflix right now. But what's it called, Dave? I think it's called the new one, Jeff. Oh, <laughs> please stop! I'm leaving the show right now. I'm, I'm just hanging out. All right, Jeff. What else have you been watching? Oh, I checked out a few episodes of The Witcher, the new. Netflix show based on the book series, which is also uh, what was what used as source material for the video game series, which I have loved very, very much. Uh, and evidently is getting a re- huge resurgence based on the TV show because it has become one of Steam's top concurrent games again, uh, you know, many years after its release. Uh, Mitchell 3, that is. Uh, but the, the Witcher uh, television show is based on the books it is very much uh, if you liked the video game i think you're going to find a lot of similarities to the video game clearly they did not ignore the look and feel of the video games um even uh you know the voice acting from the video games is kind of mimicked here uh <laughs> for better or worse yeah, yeah. by henry cavill yeah. who plays who plays the witcher himself for better or worse indeed that was really one of my least favorite things about the games but you know i kind of appreciate the homage uh, and I think Cavill's great. I mean, he's, I don't know. He's, he's fine. He's great. He, I, he's I've good. always liked him. Yeah. Um, the first episode is, is really wild in the sense that it, it, they just try to cram so much in. It feels like, uh, an overwrought pilot, but I, but it's a Netflix show. Cause it didn't, I don't think it needed a pilot. It just it has that feeling of like trying to cram so much in and, uh, you know, there's like a death in the first episode where it's like, 
I've only seen this guy for a few minutes and now he's dead. I'm supposed to care. I don't understand there, why. There's a giant battle that happens like halfway through. I'm like, what? Who? What? Yeah. Who are these people? Why? It is like being thrown into the middle of a Game of Thrones battle without the season of buildup. Right. It it's it's all yeah. it's very rushed, uh, very rushed. And I think it settles down. I haven't finished the uh, the first season yet, but um, I, I think there's a lot to like it. It feels like a. It is not. It doesn't compare favorably in my mind to Game of Thrones. Um, I don't think it reaches that level. But no, it, it is, is more Hercules and Xena. Like it is straight yeah, up that old yeah. romp of like fun fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. If Hercules and Xena had like three times their budget, <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but the same level of writing, the exact yeah. same. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I found it to be pretty fun, and and it certainly I understand why people watched the show and then immediately went and booted the game up again because it does make you want to be in that world that just like walking through towns is done really well. And you go, Oh yeah, I got to walk through towns in that game. I want to, I want to play that game again. Um, so <laughs> it's, I think it's pretty decent. I, like I said, I haven't finished it, but, um, the, the more thing I wanted to bring up with you guys, uh, is do you think that we are in the last throes of the Netflix approach to releasing an entire season on one day? Because it certainly feels like in a post Mandalorian, post, you know, there's all these new, st- you know, uh, Apple uh, TV and um, Disney Plus, and there's all these new stations coming out. Nobody's really doing it that way. And they're benefiting from continuing to be in the zeitgeist over longer periods of time where it feels like Witcher came and went already, where it could have been. Right. And a lot of shows on Netflix are like this, they, they yeah. could have been talked about week to week in the same way Mandalorian seems to have the way the succession was for HBO and lots of HBO shows are. I, I feel like at a certain point, Netflix going to go, it's not worth it anymore for us to do this. I think it's going to depend on the show, like a show like Witcher, honestly, which is so, so fantasy, like it's fun. It's fine. Um, if the other episodes, like I've only seen one so far, but I'll, I'll probably go check out the others. But if I had to wait like week to week, for some of these things are like, I, I don't know if the Witcher is worth that level of my attention span, you know, like some shows, maybe like Mindhunter. I feel like getting a week to soak into a Mindhunter episode and like anticipate the next one would be fun. But maybe for the lesser shows like this, like, you know, just dump them all out there. Netflix has enough content where they can do that. Disney Plus and Apple TV don't. That's why they have to like dose it out like this. Mm. I think that's true. But I wonder if Netflix is going to feel the heat a little more and go, we, we just we we spent all this money on these things and then we just plop them out there and they get a yeah. blip one week and then nobody's talking about them two weeks later. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe their metrics will change eventually. Like the weird thing is to like to go to another country, right. And load up Netflix. And first of all, it still works. Unlike most other like the U S based surfaces. Right. And the Netflix you get in like any other country is completely different than the Netflix you have at home, aside from like the original shows. So like their value as a global service, I think it doesn't really matter how they release these things. Like it's just content that the entire world is going to be watching. Whereas Disney plus is still, it's only in a couple countries outside of the U S and Apple TV plus even fewer, I think. So they're, they're much smaller scale wise. Mm. All right, we got to move on and get to our review of 1917. But before we do that, we got to acknowledge people who donated to this podcast. Big thanks to new subscribers at the rate of $2 per month, Jeff Potvin and Timothy Eng. Thanks also to donors David N., Hugh F. from Australia, Neil B. from London, Bernard Lentz, and Jared Stab in Omaha 
who writes in with this message. Hi, guys. Was hoping you could give a shout out to all the other Slash Filmcast fans in and around the Omaha area. I'm in debt to you guys. <laughs> I'm in debt to you guys for a number of reasons, but in particular, it was you three who inspired me to gather my friends up a few years ago to start conducting our own year-end reviews of cinema. For the first time this year, we're hosting an event called the Year-End Movie Forum at our local Alamo Draft House. It's free and open to the public. It's a chance for the movie-loving community to come together and share their picks across ten categories and having have a say in capping off the cinematic year that was 2019. Plus, there'll be trivia questions, prizes, and a top five of the year countdown that everyone gets to vote for. The event starts at 7 p.m. on January 29th at the La Vista location. More info can be found at facebook.com slash the post credit scene or facebook.com slash Alamo Omaha. Would love for this Omaha! to serve as a, <laughs> as a slash filmcast meetup for any fellow listener that can make it. Thank you for the literal hundreds of episodes you've given us over the years, and thank you for inspiring others with what you do. Thanks to uh, Jared trying to get the Omaha contingent of Slash Filmcast up out there, along with Decatur. Uh, we're building franchises, guys. We're like Fight Club here. Yeah, so good. Omaha it. has an Alamo, by the way, Dave, and Seattle does not. What I, is what's up with that? Trust me, it kills me. I, I mean, I honestly have thought about like maybe I should email them to be like, can I start a franchise here? Um, <laughs> Leon from Cologne, Germany writes, dear Dave, Devinger and Jeff, thank you for the weekly entertainment. Know that your commitment and sacrifices made for the podcast are always appreciated. Just returned from a screening of 1917 after hearing Jeff rave about it in the top 10 films of the year. Absolutely loved the, I uh, absolutely loved the film. Maybe wouldn't have seen it in the cinema otherwise. End quote. So that's from Leon from Cologne, Germany. Um, that's great, Jeff. I really like Cologne, by the way. I've been to Cologne, so it's a nice town. You're changing people's movie-going habits, Jeffrey. Um, I try. I try. David S., who goes by Sleebs McGeebs on YouTube, writes in to say, Hey, guys, love the podcast. Just want to say thanks for the countless hours of laughs, limericks, and entertainment. Love your conversation about the start of your journey and how Dave was fine with no one listening to those early podcasts ever again. I always wanted to write or talk about movies in a public way, but never did because I was afraid to put anything out there that was less than perfect. Hearing about the concept of things not starting amazing countless times, combined with recently watching Magnolia and Phantom Menace documentary Dave recommended, finally pushed me to start putting reviews out on YouTube. Your podcast has brought me many hours of joy and helped me to uh, inspire me to actually do something I've wanted to do for years. Thank you, guys. Hope the next decade treats you well. So thanks to David S. for that donation and email. Uh, thanks you know, to- it's good when we say uh, it doesn't have to start good, and then in our case, also not even ever get good. I know it's that's really- the thing. That's the thing that I was, you know, surprised by the email. <laughs> he says like he's like things not starting amazingly. I'm like, did things get amazing? <laughs> <laughs> See what you do is you start with the low bar, and then you just keep that bar low, baby. <laughs> just keep it low, never surmount it. Of course, if you always if you want to donate to the slash filmcast, go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. Um, you can also uh, help us out without leaving any money at all. Just go to leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It's free. It takes a few seconds. Just go to Apple Podcasts, write a review for us, leave a star rating. It really does help considering how many movie podcasts are out there. It would make a big difference if you would just take... Five seconds out of your day. All our asking is like 10, 20, 30 seconds out of your day out of the compared to the hours of entertainment, you know, that we've given just to, to leave a review for us. I mean, I mean, you know, maybe, you know, maybe consider that a fair trade. Maybe consider it a fair trade. Okay. Let's move on to our review of 1917. In your own time, gentlemen. Must be something big if the channel's here. You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. 
They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail, it will be a massacre. We've got orders to cross here. That is the German front line. If we're not clever about this, no one will get to your brother. I will. That was from the trailer of Sam Mendes' 1917. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Two young British soldiers during the First World War are given an impossible mission. Deliver a message deep in enemy territory that will stop 1,600 men and one of the soldier's brothers from walking straight into a deadly trap. Uh, this movie is directed by Sam Mendes, written by Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns. Christy Wilson Cairns has written for TV before. I believe this is her first film. And missing from that description and missing from a lot of the movie's marketing, quite impressively, I would say, is the fact that everything in this movie takes place as though it is one long continuous shot. Right. It looks like it does. It looks, for the most part, like it's one long continuous shot. And we'll talk a little bit about what the effect of that is. But I just want to say from a marketing perspective... I admire the fact that I think, you know, I watched all the trailers. I don't think that was mentioned in any of the trailers. No. Um, because I think it would have felt uh, cheap and tacky and sensationalistic to mention that, given the subject nature of the movie, right? Because this is mm-hmm. theoretically a serious war movie. People's lives are at stake with this message that's being delivered. Can you imagine watching a trailer that shows, like, the the sort of gravity of war and then, like, the text flashes on screen. And it's all done in one long yeah. shot. You know, like, it just would feel... I remember the trailers for Russian Ark. I, re- I seem to think they did that. Just well, to really but, but Russian Ark yeah. is, like, not... But it's very different. Yeah. yeah, it's not nearly this uh, kind of subject matter. And, like, you know, people aren't dying left and right, horrifying deaths. Um, but I agree. That was part of the marketing for Russian Ark, for sure. Yeah. yeah. We, I, speaking I of which, like Vinger, they... we've, come, we've come a long way from Russian Ark. Such Arc a long way. Oh you know, man. Russian Ark, so, for those who don't know, was like a almost like a documentary style look through the the Russian Hermitage Museum, I want to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and when that movie came out, it was meant to look like one long shot. It came out in two thousand two. At the time, the technology to do one long shot was like I, I they had to have like a special rig on the camera to make it work. And uh it, it was like groundbreaking. That this yeah. movie existed and was done in one long shot, um, and now it's like the level of complexity is exponentially higher in 1917 than it is in in Russian Ark, a movie that came out around 17 years ago. So it is it is really when you when you step back and think about it, like technology has come such a long way. It's All that said, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What was that? Guy? <clears throat> I was gonna say it's extraordinary because I I had heard that. There's actually not a single take. The longest take in the movie is three and a half minutes, mm-hmm. which is extraordinary because there there are certainly moments where I saw edits like, yeah. oh, there's an edit point, but not that frequently. Yeah, not that frequently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. So maybe, so they, maybe it's better they didn't advertise it because it's sort of like, well, it's not quite, not quite one thing, <laughs> right? Like there's so many little cuts here. Digital, they they digital, you know, through the magic of CG and digital yeah. stitching, they were able to combine many of the takes to look like one long shot. But okay, all that said, yeah. Uh, what did you think? We talked a little bit about the movie already during our top ten episode, but Devendra, what did you think overall of the movie? And then I, I you know, want to yeah. go to Jeff and then get to spoilers. 
So I rushed out the morning of our top 10 last year to, to see this movie, just to squeeze it in there. It didn't quite make my way into my top 10, but I really enjoyed it. It is a stunning technical achievement. It is, you know, tremendous work from Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins. It is, it's been four years since Spectre and the, the stain of that movie. Like I still feel, <laughs> I still feel burned by that damn movie and like how much I was really rooting for it too, because I, you know, I really genuinely loved Skyfall and despite its flaws, like I like what Sam Mendes was doing with it. Inspector was like, well, here's the style. Here is none of the script. Uh, this movie in many ways feels like an evolution of the uh, opening sequence of Spectre, which was like a long continuous thing, which was very stylish and had absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the, uh, the movie. Uh, that was something. Um, yeah, I, I dug this movie just like as a complete experience. It is a wonderful thing to sit and watch in a theater with great sound. Um, it is surprisingly emotional. Like, I do feel like they do a good job of uh, centering what the story is, who these characters are that we're following and the journeys that they're that they're going on. Like there there's room for some really nice, intimate storytelling among the big bombast. I will say overall, though, like um as a one take movie, which this technically isn't, um, it just looks like it is. Uh, I, I'm still more wowed by the like audacity and um, difficulty of making a movie like Victoria compared to this one, you know, which oh, is sure that yeah, was like a very really doing it. Thing. Yeah. Just yeah. really li literally just doing it and yeah. not, not stitching together things digitally and like, you know, going at a really low budget. So I'm, I'm far more impressed by a movie like Victoria, but this is certainly astounding. Um, this feels like a movie you have to see in the theater too. Cause just the level of artistry is just there for some of the set pieces and a lot of the action and so much of the cinematography. Uh, yeah, there's a sequence that is lit up entirely by night flares uh, by yeah. Flares in the dead of night. And it is just like one upping the whole like end sequence of skyfall of that gorgeous shot of like the house on fire. Um, it just feels like Sam Mendes and Roger Deakins kind of just one-upping themselves entirely. It's a gorgeous movie, and I hope more people see it in a big theater. I hope to see it in IMAX, yeah. Jefferson Kanata, what did you think of 1917? Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say what I thought of 1917 is best summed up in the form of a limerick. Excellent. You know I liked it a lot. It earned my year-end top spot. Heartfelt and mind-blowing. My love is still going like one continuous shot. Nice. Nicely done. We got the okay. double limerick for 1970. People should be thanking the heavens that they were treated to two limericks about 1917, <laughs> not just one. Yeah. And I'm I'm probably going to repeat a lot of the things I said in that episode about uh, about the movie because uh we hadn't talked about it yet and I I mean it it absolutely blew me away this movie and it as i said then it it not only earned my top spot for 2019 i think it would be a movie that i would put on the best of the decade list it is uh, it is what i wanted from dunkirk it's what i want from most war movies uh where i i feel catharsis i feel empathy i feel a connection with the characters uh i moved i am thrilled i am uh, in awe of the spectacle, the size, the scale of war, uh, all of these things on a story level that it does so well. We'll talk about more in spoilers. Uh, the movie works as a movie. It, the movie, I'm drawn in. I love these guys. As I said uh, in our top 10 episode, it, it, this feels to me more like 
Lord of the Rings than it does a war movie. It's an adventure. We're stepping out with these two characters and we're traveling with them. And it, it really is a, a movie about moving from place to place. And that sense of what's going to be around the next bend, what crazy adventure, what what harrowing experience are we going to survive with these characters is exactly the kinds of movies that I, I love as well. So on a story level, the performances are exquisite. I thought the two young actors uh, around whom the, the story is centered, um, who I didn't know before the movie, both of them are on my radar now as actors to watch because both of them deliver incredible performances in, I think, an experience that is unlike what most actors have to deal with. You know, these longer takes, these very technical, I'm assuming very technical requirements in order to make this thing work. Uh, so as a film, I was moved. As a film, I loved the the story. I mean, it is a war movie about trying to stop war in a lot of ways. It's about, you know, them trying to prevent a battle rather than win a battle, which I found to be inspiring and beautiful. But also there is that other layer of the technical side, which just added completely to me. It didn't distract. It didn't feel like a gimmick. It felt like a beautifully additive element that really highlighted that journey. We are, we are with them moving from place to place. It never, we never get a break. There's never anything removed. There's never a time jump. There's never a cut from one place to another place, even within a location. I'm never jumping around the room as the observer. I'm moving seamlessly through this experience with these characters and that to me made it feel more like a journey, made it feel more uh, dramatic that they have to traverse this place. They have to move through some horrible, horrible things. And the, and, and just the, the experience of seeing how that is accomplished, the hundreds and hundreds of extras, I mean, shots where you're just moving through, um, a, uh, um, trench a trench. Yeah. And there's just people on all sides that, you know, they, 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 aren't aren't there but to be props but to be set pieces uh but the movie does not spare any moment of of really making you feel like this is a endeavor that took thousands of people that involved the lives of thousands of people and that scale done with this level of artistry with this cinematography it is a it feels intimate and personal and grand and epic all at the same time man i love this movie. It, it feels like an achievement. It feels like a triumph. And it, it is also feels like a very intimate, small tale that feels personal and, and affected me on a very emotional level. I was weeping at the end. It is a beautiful movie. I love it. Yeah, I, I think it's great too. I want to talk about spoilers with you guys, but I'll just say two things about the movie before we get into that. One of them is that I agree with y'all. I think that the fact that it's done to look mostly like one continuous shot really does help the movie. I think that it, it does several things to your experience of the movie. One thing is that, for the most part, this movie takes place in real time, right? 
And so you know they have to like travel from this point to this point. You know they only have a certain amount of time to do it. And you know that like every second that elapses in as you're sitting there in the theater is a second that's mm-hmm. elapsing in the in the timeline of the film. And that's like a very you know I think that's actually part of the marketing is like the enemy is time right like that like the fact that it's real time means that uh you you are feeling the ticking clock you're feeling the urgency of their mission and the second thing that it does is you know that be, like essentially the camera stays with these characters uh for you know i'll I'll say basically like it stays with them for as much of the movie as you think is possible and leave it at that right and uh as a result of that because you are with them, you know it's it's almost the camera's almost like a third character ghost like that follows these characters around, and because it's following them around, you know that if they get in a jam, they are not like you are not getting out of that jam unless they get out of it as well, right? Whatever situation they're in, this camera is gonna be there for it. Pretty much is like kind of kind of the, the agreement that you you have with this camera as you're following them, you know, through all these steps, and that really, for me personally, ratchets up the tension quite a bit. All that said, none of that would mean anything if there wasn't an emotional core to this story. Yeah, and I think I think there really is, right? It really is these two characters, Lance Corporal Blake and Lance Corporal Schofield. Who you know? One of them has a brother who's in this other division. They're trying to deliver this message to, and you know it's kind of cliche that it's like, hey, it's a family member, and you're trying to save the family member. I mean, think of one of the great war movies, Saving Private Ryan. That message is pretty like the the thrust is pretty similar. They're literally trying to save Private Ryan. It's in the title. They're trying to deliver a similar message to save a family member, not one of their family members in that movie, but you know what I'm saying, and. Uh, simultaneously as this is a story that's been told before I really felt like the performances of these two actors Dean Charles Chapman and George McKay helped to really sell it I think like none of this bombast none of none of the visual effects none of the elaborate sets or camera movements would mean anything if the emotional core doesn't work for you and for me it completely worked i completely was bought into this mission i bought into the passion that specifically lance corporal blake had to like make it and lance corporal schofield's like you know initially like feeling very put upon to do the same thing and i i bought all that and for for those reasons for all that stuff i just said this movie really really worked for me i love it a lot of people have asked me if it would have made my top 10 it would have made my top 10 for sure for 2019 yeah. um it wouldn't have been my number one i still think parasite would have been my number one but it would have been top five for sure uh, it's just such an incredible experience haven't been able to stop thinking about it yeah. um I, I actually was only able to see it in a regular theater when i saw it for this episode but it opens in imax next week and i'm planning to go check it out again in imax oh, yeah. yeah um if it's op- if it's going to be in dolby i'm going to go see it in dolby unfortunately you know like rise of skywalker is playing in imax right now and then i think bad boys is, is going to be playing in in you know imax so it's like kind of like you yeah. know uh pinched on either side with regards to the the screenings but i'm going to try see it on as big of a theater as you can and it's an immersive experience yes. that deserves to be great seen great sound yeah. Great yeah. sound deserves to be seen theatrically. Okay. And what you said, Dave, about uh, it having needing that emotional core or it 
feeling it would it could potentially have felt like this technical exercise yeah. that yeah. was cold and devoid of that. I know you loved it, but for me, that's what Dunkirk felt like. Yeah. It, it felt like this technical exercise in displaying the war and and all the IMAX stuff and the grandiosity and all of it. Right, because, I, because my, you know extremely little about any of those characters. Right, right? and I, I admired that movie, uh, and I certainly valued that viewing experience, but I'm somebody, as listeners probably know well, that really enjoys that emotional element, that feeling that, that empathy and, and being with characters. And I just didn't get that out of, out of Dunkirk at all. It, it, it did feel cold and, and distant. Uh, and this movie had all of that. I felt like all of the epic technical achievement and the heart. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it, I think, uh, rise above for me. I will say it does a lot with like very little, right? Like immediately you see these two characters are just kind of sleeping on the grass and like they're, they're little, like their mannerisms, the way they like talk to each other and gesture to each other tells you like they're at least brother in arms to a certain degree. Like they're people who fight side by side. Like that tells you a lot about these characters and it feels, you know, what they're saying, what they're telling, the actual story they're telling you feels more traditional than something like Dunkirk, which was just like, you know, multiple timelines, multiple characters. They it didn't properly introduce you to so many people like Dunkirk was trying to be like anti-narrative, whereas this feels like very traditional narrative just told in a new way. All right, let's get to spoilers for 1917 starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. I'm trying to see this coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. So I think that I've seen a lot of conversation on the Internet about this movie that has been um, that just isn't isn't my experience of the film. You know, mm-hmm. um, but it's interesting how pol- like I've the the conversation I've seen has been very polarized, right? Like a lot of people have said, uh, for instance, I would say I would say like it's best summed up by like the headline at the Verge for this review written by Joshua Rivera. Uh, that is the headline is quote "1917 turns a nightmare war into a theme park showcase," and I, I think a lot of people that, do complain about the video gamey nature of. Right, like that, right. it feels like a video game, and and in fact, like right. I actually had that thought when at the beginning they're like, "Hey, you know," they go into the little bunker with Colin Firth, and it's like, "Here's your mission. Here's the mission briefing. Here's your supplies. Like, you want grenades? Do you want med kits? You know what I mean? Like, it, just, it was like, oh wow, this really well, does kind of feel like a video game. It didn't yeah. occur to me at all. I, you know, obviously, I'm somebody that plays lots of video games and lots of war video games, lots lots of first person shooters. I never. Never even occurred to me. Never crossed my mind. I don't know why. I yeah. think that like the where the complaint comes from, this idea that like oh, it, it's almost like it's like a, you're you're watching a game on rails, right? Like where you're, yep. you're yep. Uh, these characters are going through this thing, and you're looking and you're looking around and seeing everything. Well, the um, camera perspective is also very similar to what we see in a lot of games too, right? It's right behind the characters. It's right much behind of the, the time. characters, right? Yeah. yeah, like it almost feels like a third-person viewpoint. Uh, the camera movement is very like it's not handheld. It's all very smooth. It's mm-hmm. on a gimbal. It's on a steady cam, or it's on something else. 
Um, but it moves around them a lot. I mean, it, oh, yeah, it's not yeah. always behind them. No, no, it doesn't... All I was saying is that it's like a very smooth camera. It's not like handheld camera movement or anything right. like Saving Private Ryan or anything like that. So it like I understand why people think it feels like a video game, but I think that you know we've already and we've already covered this that like for those people who didn't like it, I feel like just the emotional core of the movie didn't work for them. Right, that they felt like it was right, not right. enough material to like fill out these characters, and and all you're left with is this kind of technical exercise that feels like, uh, as this writer put it at the Verge, a single shot flex. Um, wow. Which, or um, I read Ty Burr's review of the Boston Globe, uh, where he cited some people on the internet calling it Ready Player World War One, which I thought. Oh, was oh an man, pun as that's well. a good like yeah. that is a good description. Like, here's the thing, Jeff. Like, I know we talked about this before, and I mentioned the video gaming part of it. It's not. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It is just sort of the style of it that I noticed because I play a ton of games too. Like the the power afforded to you know CG cameras in games is that they can go anywhere. They don't need to cut. And usually, letting those sequences play, I'm thinking of like Call of Duty or even Gears of War. Uh, really ramps up the intensity of all those situations. And I do feel like game directors and the cinematic designers tend to go all all out. You know, they tend to like show off what these game engines can do rather than be constrained by the limits of like a physical camera or, you know, yeah. real limits or anything like that. I feel like this movie just, it gives me a sense of that. Like it didn't hurt the movie for me, but that that is there. That like aesthetic is certainly there. Yeah, I think the aesthetic is there. I think the one aspect... Uh, of the movie that I didn't like is that the uh, the cameos from all the famous people like that really kind of <laughs> right, right. jolted me out of the movie a little bit uh, because it's like oh hey like it, it felt like a video game cutscene almost like oh here's a section where you meet Mark Strong and here's a section where you yeah, meet yeah, other yeah. famous it's just like that felt a little bit odd to me because uh, also it, it didn't help that Call of Duty has been doing that quite a bit too. Like they right, have right. those like, key actors now. Correct. And imagine if they had done it with like all unknown actors. Like I think it would have been a more effective film, honestly. Right. Right. Um, well, I love that the two leads are unknowns, and it did not give me a clue as to whether either one would survive or not. Right. So it it did feel like genuine shock when you know that one of that, them dies. One of them does, yeah. and. You know, I, for the whole time, I'm like, oh, yeah, he, he's the Frodo and he's the Sam. And then that happens. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he was the Frodo the whole time. And that guy was the Sam, you know, that, was, that scene, was, by the way, is is killer because it tells you so much about the characters. You like he is. He's still trying to help this. He's dude trying to help is, this dude. Right. Yeah. Who's still and their I, enemy. I Come love on, the... like, guy. What was that pilot thinking? It's just like, well, they're my enemy. So I'm just gonna have to keep going. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, sorry. I, sorry. I, go ahead, Jeff. No, go ahead, Dave. Well, uh. So I want to thank people in the Slack film cast for pointing out that this is a movie in which Tom and Baratheon tries to get a message to his brother, Rob Stark, while meeting Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty along the way. Yes. That scene specifically, though, that, that death scene, I know, I know, I know this is a great example of a movie that has a lot of CG, but you never are, are supposed to know. Uh, you know, there's a lot of movies like, you know, Marvel movies and Star Wars and stuff where there's special effects and we're looking at special effects and it's, wow, look at the special effects. And this movie, the special effects are all about hiding the special effects, you know, piecing shots together and creating things. But that death sequence, I I intellectually know was manipulated 
in post, but it is so harrowing. The fact that he actually gets white as he loses blood. Yeah. And, and, and as somebody, (laughs) and this may sound weird, but as somebody who's played Romeo twice in two different theatrical productions, uh, (laughs) and has had to die on stage after giving a impassioned speech and having a lot of physical exertion and then attempted to stop breathing, uh, in front of the audience, you know, as you lay there and have Juliet do her business and you are out of breath and you've just exerted and been going like crazy and speaking and, and then you have to stop breathing. The moment where he dies and the camera just lingers on him yeah. and he doesn't breathe again, I know it's probably a visual effect, but man, <laughs> it I was like, he's not breathing. He's not breathing. How is he doing it? It's amazing. Well, yeah, and when the camera moved off him, I'm like, oh, thank God he can breathe now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and the, yeah. but the whole sequence with also like he had the this blood pack, right, and everything like that. And yeah. it, it it looked very realistic and harrowing, and it's it's yeah. it's horrible. You watch a man die, and you watch the whole process, yeah. and there's no cuts, yep. and there's you're just there with him. Yeah. It is it, I've never seen anything quite like that, man. And and the the plane coming in and crashing to start it all off is just like I, I couldn't believe what I was witnessing half the time in this movie. Yeah, the uh, I also want to point out that the the opening shot of this scene is like that character lying down, uh, the character. Uh, yeah. Lance Corporal Blake lying down in the position that he dies in, pretty much. Yeah. And uh, yeah. also the final shot of the movie, Lance Corporal Schofield is Returns lying against a tree his... and, or yeah. you know against a piece of wood in the same way that he is in the opening shot. So there's like kind of mirror image of the opening shot and like where those characters end up, which I thought was yeah. Really and also lovely. you know one of the best uh, masking of a setup and payoff with the milk, like. You know, I didn't. He gets milk and then uses need like needs milk later. <laughs> uses like, the item. Yeah, yeah he uses wild. the item he picked up <laughs> yeah. earlier uh, in the film. Just, it feels like you're minimizing it when you say that. I, I no, I, no, it's but it's what happens. Like, yeah. yeah, it it did feel. Yeah, I mean, it did feel like a little like James Bondy. You know how like in James Bond movies, like uh, Q gives him like the one thing that he's going to need to get out of the situation he's in. Yeah. yeah. Um. So it did feel a little bit like that, but I did, you know, I, I actually did enjoy that scene where he meets the baby and everything like that. Um. Man. And the, the scene right before that, when he is looking at this burning building, and he makes eye contact with the soldier, and they they spend like a second trying to figure out like, are they yeah. on the same side? So uh, terrifying, right? Yeah. That that, that and moment. then a whole sequence of taking down the dude quietly, and and then the, the oh other guy coming. Yeah, Ugh. it's 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 incredible. It's incredible. There are um, so many sequences in the movie to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. By the uh, way, I need to say this because every time we talk about Sam Mendes movie, have either of you seen Road to Perdition? I yes, haven't, I haven't yet. Okay, yes. okay, yes, Dave, Dave. <laughs> whatever you're doing, don't don't go see Cats again. Go see Road to Perdition because okay. that movie is gorgeous, has some tremendous set pieces, and it's also the first time uh, Sam Mendes worked with Daniel Craig like long before the whole Bond thing. So it's like, that movie is astounding, and it feels like this movie is is kind of an evolution of what he started with Road to Perdition and Spectre and Skyfall, too. Like, he, you know, he's been doing these action things for a while. It's just, he's been a prestige guy. That's kind of what he was, he was known for American Beauty for so long. That's kind of like the hole he was in. And I feel like more people should talk about Road to Perdition. Tom Hanks 
as sort of like a badass anti-hero. We never Tom Hanks playing a character that has oh, flaws. Man. Oh man. <laughs> which is rare yeah. these days. Yeah. One no, of the not, most beautiful not, movies not, not you'll ever saint. see too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would say the most effective sequence of the movie, like the, the scene that got the most visceral reaction is when he like cuts his hand on barbed wire and then yeah. uh, shortly after plunges it into a corpse. Yeah. Uh, I was certain that was the end of that dude. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Is like I'm like, oh, actually, I'm actually grateful that this movie takes place in real time because theoretically, an infection like that would take hours to set in. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. thank God, I'm not going to need to see where that ends up. <laughs> um, but uh, also, separate than that, you know, the scene that really got me. I mean, the the whole final sequence is amazing with him discovering that guy singing "Wayfaring Stranger," and then uh, towards Running. the end, it's it, it oh. just like the final ten minutes of this movie was so stressful because they've mm-hmm. he's gone through this whole quest. He's been shot at. His friend has died. And you realize how delicate this mission is, even the, when he's already reached the destination, right? Yeah. Like, how close he is to not getting in to see the general or the colonel or whoever he's trying to see. And, like, uh, people are saying, like, no, you can't go in. You can't do this. You can't do this. And it's like, dude, he's there. He might not even get the me- now. Yeah, intellectually, yeah. intellectually, I understand that they're not going to have you go this whole movie in real time, and then he doesn't get the message to them. That would be a pretty downer ending to this film, uh, and I didn't think that they would be bold enough to do something like that. Mm-hmm. So I knew it had to happen, but nonetheless, with that moment when he's like, "Fuck it, I'm just going to run this thing," like he gets up <laughs> yeah. out of the trench and uh, starts running, it, it just is it- like. And then there's hundreds of dudes hundreds. running the other direction. And you know, him. like all those dudes uh, are basically dead, you know, because yes. he can't get his matches across. Then like the, the main actor collides with these, with these dudes, which by the way, watching this, the, like the making of, I learned that at least one of those collisions was not intentional, right? It was like uh, an accidental collision and he just kept running because they, they stayed in character the whole time. Uh, it, it, you realize kind of, what this movie is going for, which is like that it truly, this is what is depicted in this movie is one of maybe Mm -hmm. hundreds or thousands of individual acts of bravery and heroism that took place during this war. At the same time that this movie is conveying that though, I also did get the sense that like this movie is trying to say, you know, war is a, is colossally wasteful. Is, it was yeah. the sense that I got right that all these well, people dying, this chaos left and right. Um, they're like they're taking yeah. this ground that then is then given up immediately yeah. by the German. You know, like and Cumberbatch are, is explicit about it at the end. He says, you know, yeah, thank you for getting this message to me, but they're going to send me the opposite message yeah. tomorrow or the next day or whenever. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those I, are the I will two- say, by the way, that whole final meeting, I do feel like maybe a little something more. I feel like maybe a little more resistance on Cumberbatch's part to like really because he he was warned that this general. May yeah, not I was like, where how, sure where is that audience. going? Because he's like, some give men me, just want the fight. Right? Yeah, yeah. Give me give me a little something more. I feel like Cumberbatch like so much of this movie just feels like him getting through the camp and like relying on like um, British respectability. It's like, oh yeah, you're not supposed to go there. You're not allowed in there. <laughs> it's a it's a lot. It's a lot of just like getting past that little social hurdle. But once he actually gets to the to the general, it's just like he lays it out, and the general's like, oh okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay. I, I yeah, agree you with you. Well, he, it felt a little bit too easy, but at the same time, I was so emotionally exhausted by that point in the film that it was a relief. 
It was a relief when he said, yeah. yeah. But I agree with you that I'm like, oh, Mark Strong gave him this whole speech. I'm like, this is going to be bad when he you know, it gets takes, him, right? It takes showing yeah. him the paper, though, for yeah, it to yeah. work. It yeah, should, no, well, that's true. <laughs> It's funny how much this movie just feels like it relies on like a lot of very like uh, British mannerisms too. like he he gets he gets the order. He he has the seal like it's all. Yeah, it's a, it's a very military thing, too. It's just I feel like I, it almost felt like this movie was leading up to like a Colonel Kurtz moment of some kind. And we didn't quite get that because you know, Cumberbatch is even in the trailer. So, you know, he's going to pop up at some point. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. It felt a little bit too easy. But again, I, I, it, it worked for me because, man, we've already been on such a journey with this character. Um. Uh, I just want to call out a couple quick technical things. I, we talked about the flare scene, right? Apparently yeah. they built a scale model of that town and practiced, you know, mini flares to see like to measure how long they would need to keep the flares in the air, how long wow. they need to keep the lighting source in the air, what angles the lighting would come down at. So just that sequence alone wow. must have taken like tons of planning just to get that right. Uh, <laughs> and I think the final result is incredible. Uh, every like most scenes in this film are a technical marvel. I think the first moment I recognized it was when he's heading into a group of men. Right at the beginning, they're walking through the trench, like this massive scene where they're walking through the trench, and he passes this group of men, and the camera kind of goes to the side of them, and then passes them, and then as it pans back, you see where the camera just was, and it's like fifty dudes are standing like yeah. clustered together, and I'm just like, whoa! Like how did they even? Do that, you know, yeah. and it's this first notion you get that the camera, that's what this is going to be. The camera is going to be like this ghost-like thing that can pass through, you know, seemingly insurmountable obstacles. Yeah. Um, and that happens just throughout the movie. It goes through barbed wire. It goes through mud. It goes through water. You know, like, yeah, it's just incredible. It's incredible. So it truly um, is. The way they achieved yeah. it is is great. And also um the scene between Schofield and uh, uh Lance Corporal, the other guy's brother at the end, Rob Rob Stark basically at the end. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Uh, I thought is yeah, genuinely moving. I found it genuinely yeah. moving and I the reason I haven't been able to stop thinking about this movie is like you, you, just that the look on Schofield's face as he's making that last run. There's just the determination of like, I'm going to complete this mission. I'm going to do my best to save these men, even in the midst of all this chaos, right? That that, that bravery still was able to mm -hmm. at least win that day. That's what is going to stick with me about this movie. The, the technical stuff is great. It's a cherry on top. But it's the it's the emotional core that I yeah. really resonate with me. So Yeah, mm -hmm. that's when I burst into tears, which is watching him run. Yes. And the... the, the chaos around yeah. him and yeah. colliding with those men and just i was just so moved by that yes. it, yeah yeah extraordinary extraordinary so okay uh, uh and i just want to say like i love the fact that mendes attempted this you know like yeah audacious you need it to yeah. you, you want people like even movies that people don't like you know a lot of people hate birdman i actually quite enjoy that movie uh, it won Best Picture, by the way. Another movie that won Best Picture that people yeah, don't really know about. No car. Um, what'd you say? And no car made about it. Uh, correct. No Birdman no car, bird car yet. Jeff. Yeah. No Birdman car yet. But I, I you know, The Revenant, uh, a, a movie that not everyone loved. But like again, I, I just think that like when you attempt something like it's just like you're just showing what's possible this is like yes. the avatar of the film world jeff yes you know? is like you're just showing what's possible 
It's yes. like it's like you're showing that hey, cinema can still do something like this. It's oh, the perfect analogy. <laughs> this is the avatar of cinema. The avatar of cinema. Yeah. Yeah, I think they said that uh, when we talked about it, that it, it felt like really expressing what is possible today yeah. in movies. Like yeah. the, we can do that. This is what we can do today. Probably couldn't have done this five years ago. Yeah. This movie yeah. would have looked different five years ago. You know, imagine what it'll be like five, 10 years from now. Right. Yeah. So anyway. All right. It's all avocars as far as the eye can see. <laughs> it's avocars all the way down. That's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. Find more episodes at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler prepper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. And this episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Uh, all right. Until next week, Jeff Kanata, where can we find more of your work on the internet? Well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I also do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find at 5by5.tv slash DLC or by searching for my name or DLC anywhere you get podcasts. I also do, if you want to hear my version of Lord of the Rings, epic storytelling, I do a live play Dungeons and Dragons show. We have done uh, 31 episodes now. Uh, there are recaps you can find if you search for uh, the show is called The Dungeon Run. You can find it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run. Also, if you search for The Dungeon Run Recap, you can catch up on all previous episodes in a really quick, easy way. There's four recap videos. Uh, but man, the show, I'm so proud of it. I hope you check it out. You can also listen to it as an audio show, which kind of feels like an audio book by searching for The Dungeon Run anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, or you can listen to us when we record live, when we stream it, uh, that's uh, Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run. How about you, Devendra? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget.com. I'm also co-hosting the Engadget podcast. Go check out our two CES episodes. There are a bunch of interviews in there, too. I also chatted with uh, John Maeda, who's a really interesting technologist. Uh, he had a lot of in, you know, fascinating thoughts about like where the tech world is headed. So go check that out. Go to FilmingTobo.com to come see a live version of the Tobolowski Files. I'll be there. Would love to see you there. And uh, that's going to bring us to the end of the episode. Next week, we'll be discussing Little Women with a lot of requests from the Slack Filmcast, uh, plus a lot of other folks who have been tweeting at us. Little Women uh, is the movie we're going to be discussing. That means we will not be talking about Bad Boys for Life next week. I'm sorry. I know that's a huge disappointment to so many people. Hopefully, we'll be able to squeeze it in and what we're watching. All right. Thanks for listening. See you next week. We watch the movie.